Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I apologize for the late drop this morning. I am sick and so I chose sleep over recording. Um, I normally cover as much national stuff as I can because I know my listeners are from all over, but I do have quite a few locals who catch my show in the morning, so I feel like this is pretty relevant. Northern Kentucky is following in the footsteps of Cincinnati as it closes its Ohio River intakes ahead of possibly contaminated water from the East Palestine train derailment. Northern Kentucky Water District, or NKWD, announced Saturday that it is officially shutting off its Ohio River intakes as a precautionary measure. NKWD previously said on February 10th that they intended to close down the water intakes as a precaution if chemicals from the train derailment continued downstream. Maintaining the safety of our community's drinking water is our highest priority, said Lindsay Recton, who is the president and CEO of NKWD. The decision also comes after Greater Cincinnati Waterworks, or GCWW, decided on Friday to shut off its water intakes from the Ohio River and switch to reserves. GCWW said that their decision came out of an abundance of caution. NKWD serves roughly 300,000 people in Campbell and Kenton counties, as well as portions of Boone, Grant, and Pendleton counties. It also serves the CVG Airport, which is the Cincinnati Airport. The water intake closures come after hundreds of tests and samples have been performed on the Ohio River. GCWW said on Saturday that they had tested approximately 148 samples from the date of the derailment and no detectable levels of the chemical have been found. NKWD anticipates the possible remnants of the spill between Saturday night and early Sunday morning. GCWW had initially estimated the expected arrival was sometime early Monday morning, but has since updated that to early Sunday morning as well. GCWW said that the timing varies on factors like wind, water flow speed. Outside of its work with GCWW and Orsenko, NKWD said it's going to conduct additional testing over the next few days as the possible contaminated water is anticipated. They'll also be utilizing NKWD's state-of-the-art treatment processes as a protective barrier, which includes powder-activated carbon in addition to granular-activated carbon. NKWD said they will run off of reserves until the intakes are reopened, which will depend upon sample testing. It's fascinating to me that Cincinnati and Kentucky are both saying, okay, we're going to be precautionary about this. We're going to shut down our stuff until we've tested the water. Whereas East Palestine and Mark Dwine are like, it's all good. Go home, drink your water. The water's fine. Um, I do find the different responses pretty interesting here. Speaking of the East Palestine train derailment, Pete Buttplug, uh, I mean, Buttigieg, sent a letter Sunday to the CEO of Norfolk Southern warning that the freight rail company must demonstrate unequivocal support for the people of East Palestine, Ohio, and surrounding areas after a fiery train derailment led to the release of chemicals and residents expressing concerns about their health. 
Norfolk Southern must live up to its commitment to make residents whole and must live up to its obligation to do whatever it takes to stop putting communities such as East Palestine at risk, Buttigieg wrote. This is the time for Norfolk Southern to take a leadership position within the rail industry, shifting to a posture that focuses on supporting, not thwarting, efforts to raise the standard of U.S. rail safety regulation. Governor Mike Mike DeWine, I said Mark earlier, but it's Mike, I'm, I'm sorry. Mike DeWine said Friday that the chemicals that spilled in the Ohio River are no longer at risk, even as the people in the community say that they have constant headaches and irritated eyes. I don't know how, without extensive testing, DeWine has the level of confidence that he does to say that all is well, but I suppose when you feel untouchable by the acid rain that is sure to fall, it's easier to tell the plebs that everything's fine. The state plans to open a medical clinic in the village of 4,700 people to analyze their symptoms despite repeated statements that the air and water testing has shown no signs of contaminants. Peter DiCarlo, a professor of environmental health and engineering at John Hopkins University, told ABC News on Sunday that more testing is needed to determine which chemicals are present. We just don't have the information we need to understand what chemicals are there, DiCarlo said. We know it started as vinyl chloride, but as soon as you burn that, all bets are off. You have a lot of chemical byproducts that can happen from a combustion process like that. When asked if he would move back to East Palestine if he were already living there, DiCarlo said, I have two little boys. I would not. That's comforting, huh? Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw issued a statement on Saturday that he returned to East Palestine today to meet with local leaders, first responders, and a group of Norfolk Southern employees who live in the area. In every conversation today, I shared how deeply sorry I am that this happened to their home, Shaw said. The Atlanta-based company had created a website with updates, nsmakingitright.com. The Transportation Secretary's letter on Sunday came across as a stern warning to Norfolk Southern, saying it's imperative that your company be unambiguous and forthright, in its commitment to take care of the residents now and in the future. Buttigieg said the National Transportation Safety Board is investigating the cause of the derailment and that the Federal Railroad Administration is analyzing whether safety violations occurred and will hold Norfolk Southern account if violations did occur. The Environmental Protection Agency has said the company must document the release of hazardous contaminants and outline cleanup actions. But Buttigieg also said that Norfolk Southern and other rail companies spent millions of dollars in the courts and lobbying members of Congress to oppose common sense safety regulations, stopping some entirely and reducing their scope of others. He said the effort undermined the rules on brake requirements and delayed the phase-in for more durable rail car transporting hazardous materials to 2029 instead of the originally envisioned date of 2025, which this is 2023, so that wouldn't have made a difference anyway. 
The transportation secretary said the results of the investigation are not yet known, but we do know that these steps that Norfolk Southern and its peers lobbied against were intended to improve rail safety and to keep Americans safe. In an extremely unambiguous and forthright commitment to take care of the residents, our federal government sent Secretary of State Antony Blinken to take a helicopter tour of Turkey's earthquake zone and pledged $100 million in aid to help the region. Odd. I missed how much has been pledged to the citizens of East Palestine other than the $1 million that was pledged by Norfolk Southern um, when he visited on Friday. I'm not suggesting that Turkey's earthquake wasn't devastating to the country and region. I did cover it on my show shortly after it happened, but I'll be damned if I'll agree that a foreign country deserves a more rapid, extensive financial commitment than citizens in our own country. This is going to be a long-term effort, Blinken said at Inserlik Air Base, a joint U.S.-Turkish facility that has coordinated the distribution of disaster aid. The search and rescue, unfortunately, is coming to an end. The recovery is on. And then there will be a massive rebuilding operation. Joe Biden announced $85 million for Turkey and Syria days after the earthquake that has killed more than 44,000 people in the two countries. So is the $85 million on top of the $100 million? So now we're at $185 million? The U.S. has also sent search and rescue teams, medical supplies, and equipment. The additional aid includes $50 million in emergency refugee and migration funds, $50 million in humanitarian assistance, Blinken said. The Secretary of State is making his first trip to NATO ally Turkey since he took office two years ago. Blinken arrived at Inserlik Air Base near Adana, on Sunday after attending the Munich Security Conference in Germany. First trip there in the wallet open write-up. The most important thing right now is to get assistance to people who need it, to get them through the winter and get them back on their feet, Blinken said as troops nearby unloaded boxes of aid. We'll stick with it until we get the job done. Blinken is now set to fly to Ankara, Turkey's capital later Sunday for discussions with Turkish, Turkish officials on Monday, including an anticipated meeting with President uh, Erdogan. As well as the effects of the earthquake, Blinken is expected to discuss Sweden and Finland's efforts to join NATO, which Turkey has blocked up to this point in time. Hmm, this sounds familiar. Let us have Sweden and Finland in NATO, and we'll let you have your money, bro. I feel like I've heard something similar somewhere else. I just can't quite remember where that was. In a stunning case of hubris, Kamala Harris went to Germany and accused Russia of crimes against humanity and followed it up with a warning to China of serious consequences if Beijing were to provide Russia with weapons during Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. It's like mirrors don't exist in Washington, D.C., these people have no problem pointing their fingers and making demands of other countries while doing the very thing they warn others against. Following a meeting with Wang Yi at a secret location on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference, Antony Blinken said that he warned the top Chinese diplomat that arming Moscow would have serious consequences in our relationship. 
Washington's concerns about such a move come as Russia's ambassador to the United States hit out at Joe Biden's administration following its declaration that Moscow's troops were committing crimes against humanity in Ukraine. We regard such insinuations as an unprecedented attempt to demonize Russia in the framework of the hybrid war unleashed against us. Envoy Anatoly Antonov. Anatoly Antonov, or Antonov, I love these Russian names, was quoted saying by Russia's task state news agency. Meanwhile, NATO Chief Jen Stoltenberg warned Mr. Putin was planning for more war as he joined Rishi Sunak and other Western leaders in calling for intensified support for Ukraine. Mr. Sunak insisted the world must hold Russia to account for alleged war crimes. We will incessantly expand our personal interests, encroach on your doorstep, destroy your country's critical infrastructure, supply your enemy to the teeth, and the tune of $29 billion with more to come, while accusing every account on Twitter that disagrees with someone as being a boogeyman from Russia, use you as a scapegoat to spy on presidential campaigns, and threaten your allies if they assist you but we will never talk about or acknowledge any of these things that we have done while we accuse you of being the bad guy and anyone who helps you as an even worse guy so as to never have to answer for our own transgressions. I'm sure this is nothing and won't be a big deal, but I saw it and thought it might be a good idea to let you guys know. An outbreak of the deadly Marburg virus has been confirmed. Here's what you need to know about the virus. There's no vaccine or drug treatment for the virus, which has killed at least nine people in Equatorial Guinea. The World Health Organization this week confirmed an outbreak of the Marburg virus. It's the first time the country in Central Africa has seen cases of the deadly virus. Marburg, which is related to Ebola, is already being blamed for nine deaths and also another suspected 16 cases are being investigated. Without treatment, Marburg can be fatal in 88% of the people who contract it. A 2004-2005 outbreak in Angola killed 90% of the 252 confirmed cases. Marburg virus is believed to have originated in African fruit bats. It was first identified in 1967 in Germany and the former Yugoslavia according to the U.S. Senators Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, among people who had been working with green monkeys that had been imported from Uganda. According to the World Health Organization, people can contract the virus through prolonged exposure in mines or caves where the bat colonies live. The virus spreads between humans through direct contact with blood or other bodily fluids of an infected individual or with surfaces contaminated with the virus, such as clothing or bed sheets. Marburg is not airborne. Symptoms may begin abruptly, according to the World Health Order, which include high fever, severe headache, and malaise. Muscle aches and pains are also common. It can impact every organ in your body, and it will essentially cause a shock-like syndrome. Um, an infectious disease specialist from Toronto General Hospital named Dr. Isaac Bogak. Bogok, Bogotch, I am so great with names. He said the virus can also cause gas- 
excuse me, gastrointestinal complications and predilection to easy bleeding. World Health Order says a rash can appear in the first seven days and the central nervous system will be affected, resulting in confusion, aggression, irritability. If death occurs, it generally happens eight to nine days after onset, following severe blood loss and shock. Sounds like an extremely unpleasant way to go. Uh, There's currently no vaccine for Marburg and no therapeutics to treat it, but patients can be helped. They need supportive care, including intravenous fluids, as well as electrolyte balancing and monitoring. That can significantly lower the mortality rate. The current Marburg outbreak appears to be regional, but they note that infection on one part of the earth can very quickly land on another part in a very short period of time. We saw that with, for example, the West African Ebola virus epidemic, which started off as a very small outbreak and turned into a multi-country, multi-year outbreak that took a very long time to get under control. Normally, I don't give a shit about stuff like this, but COVID has made me a little gun-shy, and when I start seeing viruses pop up that have an 88% fatality rate, it could be absolutely nothing and irrelevant to the majority of the world, but maybe just cancel that next vacation to Equatorial Guinea. In a case of monkey see, monkey do, Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, has announced yesterday that it will begin rolling out a paid subscription program allowing users and businesses to verify their accounts with a blue badge. In a Facebook post, CEO Mark Zuckerberg said the new verification system called, quote, Meta Verified will cost $11.99 a month on the web or $14.99 a month for iPhone users. The announcement comes after Elon Musk created a paid-for-verification system known as Twitter Blue after taking over the company last year. Twitter also announced Friday that users who do not subscribe to Twitter Blue will soon have to give up using text messages as a two-factor authentication method to secure their accounts and instead must use other verification methods. That will be interesting. According to Zuckerberg, the subscription service will increase authenticity and security across Meta services by verifying users' accounts with a government ID. He said this will create extra protection against impersonators and subscribers will have a direct access to customer support. That's new. The new product will be available in Australia and New Zealand starting this week, which is odd for a starting location, but I guess totalitarian countries are always the best place to start up. Uh, Last story of the day is a fun one. Archaeologists in China have unearthed a 2,200-year-old flush toilet that is likely one of the oldest ever discovered. While excavating two large buildings in the ruins of the palace in the city of Yuyang, the researchers from the Institute of Archaeology at the China Academy of Social Sciences were surprised to make the discovery. The toilet is estimated to be between 2,200 and 2,400 years old, from between the Warring States period to the beginning of the Han Dynasty. The find is intriguing, as the invention of modern flush toilets is thought to be from Victorian England. Fan Mingyang, a design expert in ancient tools, said the toilet is deceptively advanced. 
Because of the water drainage system that is used in the modern day, a toilet bowl, other broken parts, and a pipe that led to an outdoor pit were discovered last summer. The luxury object would likely have only been used by high-ranking members of the palace found in China's Shangxi province. Liu Ryu, Liu Rui, <laughs> a member of the excavation team said, whew, today's been a good day. He added that it was servants that would have had to pour water into the toilet bowl every time it was used. It is the first and only flush toilet to ever have been unearthed in China. Everybody at the site was surprised, and then they all burst into laughter. Analyzing the surrounding soil may also hint at the diets and eating habits of the ancient people. The larger archaeological dig at the palace adds great value to the study of the layout of the capitals of the ancient dynasties. Now, in reality, we have no clue what any of this was used for. We have no idea who who used it. This could be some brilliant poor servant who was in that portion of, of the palace that got tired of emptying his own piss pot. We have no idea that the servants had to carry the water into the toilet bowl or whatever. All of those things are assumptions and speculations. However, someone was smart enough to know that the way that things were being done was not the most efficient. That's pretty cool. That is your everything yesterday, this morning. I appreciate you guys joining me. I apologize for being sick. I had to pause about 60 times to cough and blow my nose and all of that stuff. So if it seems a little disjointed, that's why. Um, I hope you guys had a great weekend and I will see you hopefully tomorrow. If, if I don't put an episode out, it's because I'm too sick to do so. So anyway, you guys take care. Have a great Monday. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.